I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Got contrast with green leaves and the purple leaves of the begonia and the orange flowers of the bromeliad. It can be quite a colourful scene. Gardening doesn't just have to be kept to the outdoors. We've got all manner of strange things here, antique toys and goodness knows what. I'm sure people think we are quite mad when they come over. But my crazy house plants and interesting pots and ways of displaying them all become part of that. Yeah, you just wouldn't be without them, really. There can be a bucket load of benefits when bringing the greenery in. It has pushed me to start thinking more creatively about what people can do if they, like me, are stuck at home and they won't feel either as trapped or as lonely as you can feel when you are having to self-isolate. Your own house can be the ideal space for growing food. I like growing herbs from home because they're really flexible. You can grow them and use them in cooking. But if you don't bother using them in cooking, they have beautiful flowers, they attract bees and other pollinating insects. Generally, they're a winner all round. Welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Fiona Davison and today we're taking a look inside to appreciate the beauty of indoor gardening. There's every opportunity to stay green-fingered while we're all in our homes. Yes, I'm talking about houseplants. Thinking of my own collection, they've been a sadly neglected bunch recently. But now I'm back in my house, I'm looking after them a lot better, I hope. They're getting watered, they're getting polished and they're getting talked to on a regular basis. Which is why I'd like to start with the curator at RHS Garden Wisley, Matthew Pottage. He's our very own king of houseplants. And he has a particular soft spot for... The Clivia miniata striata, or sometimes known as the variegated Clivia lily. So I actually first came across this in the Wisley glass houses when I went as a visitor, so long before I had anything to do with the RHS. And you often see clivias around. It's a very nice, reliable, long-term house plant. It's not a demanding plant. It'll take low light levels. And this time every year, they have really spectacular orange flowers. But I had never seen a variegated one before. So the variegation on the leaf starts at the base of the leaf and runs all the way to the tip. So those long strap-like leaves are striated all the way along, hence the name. And they all vary a bit from leaf to leaf, so they're all a little bit different.
Because Clivia's only flower once a year and the green leaves can be quite boring, let's face it, I thought this is brilliant because you've got all the interest of the variegated leaf and then the flower comes and that's probably a tipping point for people if they are a bit dubious of too many colours because when it's in flower you've got the orange flowers and the yellow striped leaves. And then the fun bonus, which I never knew at the time until I owned one of these plants, was if the flowers go on to set fruit, you know, they produce like a berry-like, almost like a grape, that's also variegated, which is really, really fun because it holds these stripy fruits for about six months before they go red. So you actually have quite a long season of interest and colour on this plant. When those variegated fruits become ripe, they actually turn red and they have quite chunky seeds inside. The seeds are quite easy to grow and if you sow them fresh, they will germinate fairly readily in a few weeks. And if it's from a variegated plant, they generally do come true. The variegation can be a bit hit and miss, as in some plants have thicker banding on the leaves than others. But that's all part of the fun, I think. And then it's fun to, you know, give them to friends, share them out. And despite it being variegated, that doesn't seem to slow down the vigour of it. It still sends up offset suckers from the base and you soon get quite a decent sized pot full. And it's the kind of thing you can haul out the pot and with a good sharp knife, separate it. And as long as each piece has a bit of root attached, you can pot them up and, uh, you know, share them around with friends. And they're, they're really easy and... Uh, can be a really long-lived houseplant if well looked after. So I have mine actually outside at the moment because I have such a sheltered back garden. I can see it through the back French doors of the living room and I have a water tank outside with a, a face that spouts water and one side is flanked by a big begonia rex and then the other side is flanked by the variegated clivia and it's just pushing its flowers at the moment. If we were going to have a really, really cold spell, so when that horrible beast from the east thing happened a few years ago, I did obviously bring it in. I think it probably would have survived, but I don't want to see lots of cold damage on the leaves. But if you have a really sheltered spot in the garden, it will probably be fine in the summer to stand it out for a summer holiday, rinse all the dust off it. And if you're lucky enough to be in a you know, central London or a very, very sheltered courtyard garden or something, it is something you can experiment with placing outside year-round. I think with clivias, and just talking clivias more generally, there's a bit of a nostalgia feeling and emotion there because they are like a bit of a stalwart in the houseplant world, like an aspidestra. They've been around a long time. You probably remember either parents or even grandparents having a clivia, and they are just a, a bit of an old favourite, if you like, and very deservedly so. But when you come across one, it is almost like seeing an old friend. It's like seeing a parlour palm or probably a spider plant you know they're, they're just kind of like long-standing firm favorites and there's doing something nice about that familiarity you know there's lots of house plants i'm fond of and trying to think of a selection for this today was quite difficult but there are a lot now that you you see quite a bit i have a cheese plant i have a fiddle leaf fig i absolutely love them and you see them around a lot doesn't make it a bad thing you know they're popular for a reason but I think you know I would never be without my stripy clivia just because it is something a little bit unusual Matthew Pottage's ode to his favourite indoor plant if you'd like to hear more from Matthew 
I'd recommend taking a listen to the Houseplant Takeover episode that we released in January. Matthew offered lots of useful tips about how to tend these wonderful plants. Now this week, I was also keen to check in with another RHS colleague, Jenny Bowden. Jenny's got a brilliant eye for bringing the outside in, so we spoke to her about the plants she's currently surrounding herself with at home. The main place that the houseplants are is in the kitchen, because it's particularly ideal conditions for them there. It's a lot brighter as well. Mainly the houseplants are on the windowsill there. So we've got uh, bromeliads and there's some ferns and there's some begonias and there's usually some herbs on the go as well. And the windowsill is dark grey slate and so it sets off the houseplants really nicely. So you've got a contrast with green leaves and the purple leaves of the begonia and the orange flowers of the bromeliad, those are the very vividly coloured plants that normally grow on trees in tropical areas. And they keep their flowers for ages and they come in reds and oranges and yellows. It can be quite a colourful scene. I think houseplants are really, really important to have at the moment. It's actually homing right in on the detail of your immediate life and what's actually happening in your house that doesn't talk back, that doesn't object, that is actually growing and is optimistic because it's sort of looking forward, if you like. Plants are quite tactile as well. So the ferns, like the maidenhair fern, is a lovely gentle green. Well, they're all lovely greens, all different shades of green. Green is a very relaxing colour. You can touch the ferns, they like it too. Some of the houseplants are scented, so scent is also quite relaxing. Citrus plants, when they're in flower, they're lovely scent of orange flowers. Some orchids are scented, so that adds another dimension. But above all, I, I think it's just that caring for something that you can control and having the calmness of plants around, it's very good for your mental health. My top tips for growing houseplants are really to choose the right houseplants for the right spot that you've got in mind. The majority of houseplants like a bright position, but not harsh sunlight through glass. So do a little bit of research. If you just Google RHS houseplants, we've got some lovely lists of situations and the houseplants that like those situations. So the big leafed dark green plants, the bigger the leaf, the shadier the position that they're going to tolerate. And they like a little bit of humidity as well. So grouping things together can increase the humidity and then you'll have your own little jungle really. So right plant, right position. I think managing house plants through the winter can be difficult for people. They might not necessarily adjust their watering. So not to water too much in winter is probably the key. Stick your finger into the compost. If it's dry at an inch depth, uh, which is 2.5 centimetres, then it needs watering. When you do water, just water till it comes out the bottom into the saucer, drain the saucer's water away, and then you know it's done. And then you wait until it's dry at an inch depth again. And then this time of year, because the light levels are now increasing, you can start to water a lot more often because they're drinking it and they're starting to come into active growth. Feeding your plants with a liquid 
houseplant fertilizer can start now as well. So that just keeps them ticking over. You might need to repot. So if you've got any yellowing leaves or they've been in their pot for more than a year, then repotting is a brilliant thing to do now into multi-purpose compost. And my third tip would be to put your house plants outside from the end of May through to September on a table, ideally, out of the way of slugs, in the shade, group them together and they love being outside. They really, really enjoy that. And then bring them back in before the weather gets too cold. That's if you've got space, you know. I mean, obviously, if you live in a flat, that's not possible. And they'll be quite happy if they're inside all year round. So don't worry if you can't do it. You can propagate your own house plants if they've got to a reasonable size by dividing them. Things like the peace lily that send up multiple stems, you might have to be quite violent with them uh, in terms of cutting them, literally cutting down through the roots. If you can tease them apart politely and uh, gently, then that is preferable. Um, but you can divide them and you can get two or four out of your clump and then repot them into, uh, if you've got your multi-purpose compost, just pot them on into individual pots. Things like begonias are amazing because you can actually cut the leaves up into little postage stamps or even anchor down the leaf and they'll actually root out of the veins. So you need a tray of compost and then you lay them on the surface of the compost. Quite a nice project if there's children or even if there aren't children, to be honest. My favourite houseplant at the moment is called Flavodium aureum, blue star, which is a bluey green fern. It's actually more blue than anything else it has hairy feet it has hairy roots that come up onto the soil surface it has little yellow hairs on them it's very resilient in the jungle it would grow on the surface of trees on the trunks and in the top of trees they're kind of funky actually they're really funky ferns so they look lovely and they tolerate the treatment that i give them jenny bolden there and from jenny's kitchen windowsill to inside the mind of, well, a garden ninja. My name's Lee Burkill and I'm also known as the Garden Ninja. I'm a garden designer from the northwest of England who is absolutely crazy about garden design and helping new gardeners get involved with their gardens. Lee specialises in creating beautiful gardens in difficult plots and now he's here to help us. Perhaps you, like me, weren't fully prepared for the lockdown. You might have your tins of beans but maybe not all the gardening supplies you think you need. Never fear, the Garden Ninja has some essential tips on how to get creative when gardening. At the moment, I'm in my home office here at Garden Ninja HQ with Barry, my border terrier, who's asleep. Hopefully he won't wake up and start playing havoc. So I've always been a gardener. I've loved to garden. My granddad had an allotment. My mum's a, a mad keen amateur gardener in her terms and I've just always been around gardens so for me gardening's been almost like a secret hobby of mine. So I've been self-isolating for the past two weeks uh, mainly because I'm type 1 diabetic which means I'm one of the vulnerable people out there um, and what that's meant for me is that I've not only had to rejig all of my garden design work because I can't physically go and see clients had to move all of my planting further out into the year but it has meant that I've managed to have a forced focus on my own garden and also the content that I create alongside 
my garden design to help new gardeners. So it has pushed me to start thinking more creatively about what people can do if they, like me, are stuck at home so that they can get the most out of their gardens and they won't feel either as trapped or as lonely as you can feel when you are having to self-isolate. So my top tips for gardening and self-isolation will apply to any level of gardener. So if you're an experienced gardener, the chances are you're going to have a box full of seeds that you push to the back of a cupboard somewhere. And now's a great time to get those out. And even if you're not that keen on the plant choices you've got in those seeds, by growing plants from scratch, any experienced gardener will tell you that that nurture, the side of growing them that involves you having to take care of something, is a really good activity to take you away from the stress of corona and put you into a position of control. But if I can give you any hints and tips, it would be, firstly, get friendly with pruning. A lot of people are terrified of pruning. If you've got a garden, the chances are you're going to have a tree or a bush or a shrub or a plant that you can prune. And it's a great activity to get to understand your plants. It will encourage growth. You can't really do any harm. Most plants will bounce back, so don't fear pruning. Secondly, if you've got a box of dried peas in your cupboard, you could grow pea shoots. So even if you're in a tiny apartment with a balcony and you've maybe got only a handful of compost or you've got some other growing media, you can soak your dried peas pop them into a tray of compost. You can pack them in. They only need a couple of mil between the seeds. Cover them with a thin layer of compost, keep them moist, and then within a matter of a week or two, you'll start to get germinated pea shoots, which you can then eat. I'd also urge people to ask about with their neighbours. People can push packets of seeds under doors. You don't have to come into contact with people. If you've got an old, crusty houseplant that has seen its last and it's gone... Even reusing the old compost, although not ideal, for seeds, seeds have pretty much everything they need inside them to germinate. So don't be too concerned about getting the creme de la creme of organic compost. Use what you've got. You've got great compost. Fabulous. If you're not, doesn't really matter, but have a go. Another top tip at the moment is to take a good look at your garden Grab a sheet of A4 paper. You don't need to be Monet or an artist, but start to draw up the garden as it is now. And what that will do from a design point of view is it will help you identify any parts of the garden that don't quite look right. You'll be able to use your experience of having lived and walked around that garden as to where the pinch points are, issues with planting or bits you're not quite keen on. But by drawing it up and having a look at it in a plan view, as if you're a bird flying over your garden, you'll be able to make adjustments and start to scribble on where you want things, where you can move plants, maybe you want more of that over there, so how are we going to do that? And it will allow you to plan in advance things you can do in the garden and it will set you up for success. So let's say, for example, you've got a number of plants in your garden, herbaceous perennials, and you think, actually, there's loads of colour in that part, but over here it's a bit barren, not quite loving that. You could lift some of those herbaceous plants now. You can split them by hand or using a sharp knife to propagate them and create more plants. And then you can then start to move those around the garden thinking, well, I'm going to carry this round, carry these colours round, put some over there. And as if by magic, all of a sudden, you're then following the garden design principle of continuity. So by splitting those plants, moving them round so that you've got maybe a drift of them or you've got some more over this side where there wasn't many there before, you're kind of creating a really clever way of having consistency and theme within your garden. So 
don't think about having plants in regimented lines or controlled here, here and here. You want to kind of pull those plants through the garden and repeat them because it will give the illusion that the garden has a theme and it will just bring a lot more cohesion to the garden. And when people visit it, once Corona's over, they'll go, oh, wow, loving this because it's drawing my eye around the garden. It makes sense. Repetition is a, is a really strong design trend and, and theme that most people overlook. I really like Lee's idea of splitting plants to create colour repetitions throughout the garden. A useful tip in these times. Sometimes it's easy to get carried away with buying new things. But why not use what you've already got and create themes? Thanks again to Lee Burkle, who we'll be returning to in future episodes. Now during the lockdown I've been thinking how lucky I am to have a garden. I realised that before the lockdown I spent a lot of time moaning about what I couldn't do in the garden... Is the wrong kind of soil, too many slugs and snails, I couldn't grow this and I couldn't grow that. But now I'm really appreciating the opportunity to have some outdoor space and the chance to grow. Being at home has led to some other interesting changes, mostly a sharp increase in the time I spend raiding the fridge. And I know I'm not the only one feeling peckish. So as the sun starts to peek through into our back gardens, now's a great time to experiment with growing your own. And herbs are a really fun place to start. It's also something that's on the mind of our listeners. Kendall Chapman emailed us with a question. They asked, Whenever I visit a nursery, I cannot help but notice how potted herbs, such as rosemary and lavender, always seem to be grown in perfect rounded domes, while my herbs seem to grow unevenly. How can I achieve this formal, topiary-like look with my own potted herbs? Is this the result of careful pruning, or do healthy herbs achieve this form naturally? Well, one of our advisors, Nikki Barker, has an extensive herb collection, so is well-placed to help. We caught up earlier. Well, particularly with lavender and rosemary, they don't achieve this form naturally, particularly in our growing conditions. So when they're grown on in nurseries, they're cut back quite hard when they're potted to five, six centimetres, and that enables that rounded dome to be produced actually in quite a short space of time, usually two or three months. And also on the nurseries, particularly lavender, they tend to be grown in under cold glass or cold tunnels so that they haven't got rain and wind going on top of them, which can cause them to have little bits of dieback on them. You've got to remember that in their natural environment, there's a lot of hot sun, hot winds, and that keeps them pruned naturally in the Mediterranean. But we don't really have those sort of conditions here. So you have to do the pruning for. So without the polytunnels and things, can you at home kind of recreate that pruning effect? Yes, you can. So what you need to do is middle to the end of April, cut down your lavender and your rosemary quite hard. You can cut down the lavender normally. You can see some basal growth starting at the bottom, new fresh shoots, and you can cut them down to that. With rosemary, it's a bit more difficult if you haven't pruned them because they don't generally come back very well from woody growth. So you need to make sure you're cutting into the previous year's growth only. But One good thing, when you're doing your pruning, you can use those prunings to take cuttings. So even though lavender in particular is not a very long-lived perennial, 
really after five or six years it's past its best you can take cuttings from them every year just from the prunings and prune them after they finish flowering as well prune them twice a year and that will help keep them in a really good shape with lots of nice new young growth and what if you haven't got kind of access to seeds and can you easily start off cuttings other than rosemary and lavender anything else that's good for that Well, you can certainly start off things like oregano from cuttings. You can actually divide that quite easily. So if you've already got some of that outside, you can actually take a section, bring it indoors, pop it on your windowsill and it will grow on quicker than the one outside. So you could use that for cooking. And the same with things like chives and some of the creeping thymes, you can just they're already rooted, they sort of layer themselves. So you can just take a section, pop it into a pot, it's already got some roots on, pop it on the windowsill, should put on lots of new growth. And if you keep cutting them and using them in your cooking, then they put up more and more growth. So you mentioned quite a few herbs that are good for growing indoors. Are there any others? Yeah, so things like coriander, flat leaf parsley, basil, they're brilliant for growing indoors. So you can just start them off, keep cutting them. And if you start them off every two or three weeks, once you've used the first pot, you've cut all of that and used it in your cooking, your second pot should be ready. So think about doing them successionally. And you can do things like that with mustard and cress too. People don't really think of them as herbs, they're more salady, but actually they give a really good flavour. And it's good for kids to do as well, things like that, because they germinate really quickly and easily. So what's the ideal conditions to grow and what should we be looking for in terms of positioning them? Well, once they've germinated, they want plenty of light. But if you can germinate them somewhere near a radiator or somewhere that's about 15 to sort of 18 degrees and a fairly stable temperature, they will germinate more quickly. If you haven't got somewhere like that, don't worry. They'll just take a little bit longer to germinate. And then once they have germinated, get them somewhere sunny because they do like plenty of light. And then they will just grow on to be larger plants. One thing you do need to remember is don't just put one seed in a pot. Think about how you buy them in a supermarket. There's lots of seedlings in one pot. One coriander seedling isn't going to really flavour your curry. So you need to make sure you're really sowing them quite thickly in the pot. So which herbs are best to propagate from and how would you go about it? Well... When you've brought a pack of cut herbs, for example, from a supermarket, which is often things like sage and thyme and rosemary, they've been in the packet generally for quite a few days when you buy them. So it's quite unlikely that you would successfully take cuttings from them. And you can't take cuttings from things like coriander or parsley because they're annual or biennial herbs and they need to be grown from seed. But if you've got rosemary in your garden or sage in your garden, when you prune it, Then straight away, nip them just underneath a leaf bud. You want them to be about three to four centimetres tall. Pinch out the tops, pop them in as cuttings. So generally, the slightly woodier herbs you can take cuttings from. If they're things that are annuals, basil, coriander, parsley, then you need to sow them from seed. That reminds me, you know, those that when you buy those pots from the supermarket, Can you grow more on from them? Is there any point in splitting them or trying to bulk them up? There certainly is with 
the basil, you could split those quite easily and grow them on as more sort of just two or three in a pot. Really, with the coriander and flat leaf parsley, probably not. You're better off just snipping them and using them because they're all tunnel grown, so they're quite forced. And often once you try and divide them and grow them on, they actually just damp off. Though that should happen less if you grow your own because they won't have had those perfect conditions necessarily in your house, though they may have done. Um, So they'll be a little bit more flexible if you grow your own. I've got a little pod of flat leaf parsley that's kind of tufted out over the winter, completely neglected. I was thinking it's not going to taste of anything by now. It's going to be kind of No, but you you could let it flower and collect the seeds. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think of that. I was just thinking, oh, I'm just going to put it on the compost. Well, you could do that as well. But yeah, let some of it seed. And if you can't get hold of any fresh seed, use that. Just to kind of finish off, what's your top three tips for growing herbs? Don't overwater them. Lots of herbs will come back from being a bit dry, but very often they won't come back from being too wet. With woody herbs, remember that pruning them is key to getting all of that nice fresh foliage. So woody herbs are things like rosemary, sage, sometimes, particularly common thyme, thyme as vulgaris, they've actually got some woody stems on them. They're the ones that you need to be looking at pruning a couple of times a year at least particularly after flowering, though often if you use a lot of herbs for cooking, it's better not to let them flower. You get a much better flavour from the leaf if you don't let them flower. And thirdly, the more you use them, the better they will be. Thanks, Nikki. I'm certainly going to be trying some of those tips and giving herbs one more try this year. I think at the moment we're all being forced to think a little more creatively in our gardens, but that challenge can have wonderful results. And it's certainly reinforcing my appreciation of what nature is capable of all on its own. I'd love to hear what you're up to at the moment. Tweet me using at the RHS and the hashtag RHS podcast. For more on what we've looked at in this episode, you can visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. We'll be back with another podcast next week. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Fiona Davison. I think it's about time I found my trowel and got back to the plants. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today 
When paying by direct debit, prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.